Hi. Guys, today's guest, he's a guy who I've been aware of since I was about 10. I guess I'm going to say what you're like, and you're going to sit there and take it. <laughs> Producer, actor, I think they're both tied. It's a two-way tie for first. Um, writer in there. He created the co-created the Robot Chicken show on Adult Swim, which is now going into its uh, 45th season. <laughs> Um, it's the longest running 15 minute claymation sketch show in TV history. Um, and, uh, he was also in radio days. He's a huge Woody Allen fan. We'll get into that. <laughs> and he stands with him. Uh, he was in, uh, Austin powers, which I'm getting, he really didn't make any money for until the third one. And uh, myriad, I, I'm, Buffy didn't see it <laughs> and can't hardly wait. Did see it. And I'm sure I'm forgetting 10 better things. Am I forgetting 10 better things? I mean, I've, I've been working. You, you've my never life, stopped so yeah. working. Yeah. If that's what there's it looks lot, like from the lot, outside. There's a lot in there. What's, what didn't I mention that you're like, is like pretty good? I did this TV movie called The Day My Parents Ran Away. Is where, that true? Yeah, it is true. <laughs> Great. What year was that? 95. I don't know. Oh, uh, no parents. Empty house. Credit card. Let's have a party. Ninety four, right. maybe. What was the be- What's the most? What's your What's your number one box office smash? Uh, I think it's. I mean, it's probably Austin Powers. That yeah. third one made a made a gang load of money. Yeah. Um, but the Italian job made a ton of money too. Oh, you had that, and you had a good joke in it. A third good joke? act. I'll tell you what it was. I thought of it the other day. Oh, let's hear it. I just caught the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Got the. Holy Spirit. That was you, oh, right? Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. They let me improv all over that movie. It's Seth Green, everybody, by the way. So you've been acting since you were like a, a tiny baby, a, a little kid. Did you force yeah. your parents to let you do it? Or yeah. did they did they encourage you? Or you were like, we want, I want to do this. No, I was like, I need to do you this. You were in New York or here? I was in Philadelphia. Oh, and, right. And was able to get an audition with a manager. I, I finagled my way into a on-camera training school in Philadelphia when I was six years old. My mom, this is the, the thing I really credit my parents with, is they let me run away and join the circus. Like my mom went with me on all these auditions, took me on all of these jobs. Like what an insane nine years we spent together doing this thing. And it's crazy for me because you think about a a kid your kid saying coming to you with that level of certainty like can you even believe them okay if you had a kid hypothetically would you let them be a child actor well that kind of depends on how serious they are about it it's it's a it's a weird thing to say how do you gauge that i'd be optimistic that i'd raise a kid that would be comfortable telling me how they actually feel. I'd be optimistic that I would be able to encourage a kid to tell me the truth in at least with respect to what they want or how they feel. And I know the moments, like the the catalytic moments in my life that made me certain that what I did is perform in whatever shape that takes. What I do is perform. If a kid, if my kid came to me with that level of certainty and willingness to actually do the work, to be disciplined, to it's not it's not an easy fucking task. But I worry, don't you worry about just the inherent danger of it? Meaning it, it seems like you've escaped mental illness, but mm-hmm. many child actors don't. Absolutely. But I and also th- intentionally set to study myself, my feelings and my access to them. In, in tandem with becoming a better Were you actor. always? Yeah. I'm, but I'm saying when you're 10, I just think like there's something about, you, not only like molestation, I'm just talking about yeah, yeah, no, the l- being, listen, having to perform. I a million different bullets. Like I think about how many times I, it was demanded of me to engage in an adult way before I was emotionally prepared to, but I don't blame anybody for that. And, and I also look at, you know, some of it's luck, some of it's prep, some of it's just like who you are. I've reflected not with a survivor's guilt, but like a like an unflinching assessment of just how close I came to 
dying or being poisoned or being raped, any of these kinds of things. Now, like you specific incidences? Yeah, or it's just been, or, generally. Or even or even how many like anytime someone's come forward and they're like, this person raped me, this person molested me, or when I was young, I wound up in this kind of situation. I'll be like, oh my God, I hung out with that person. I was in a car with that person. I went to a uh, an audition and spent an afternoon with this person. I think, and like in those moments, I could reflect sort of and and assume like, oh, what was that? And But the things that I remember were not incidents of somebody preying upon me. Right. You know what but I mean? But you were adjacent. Always. You were in the same yeah. venue or the Which same. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I would do everything I could to prepare that kid for those levels of awareness. Like as fucked up as that sounds, I got exposed to tons of adult concepts, um, c- cultural things, like a million different schools of thought. And all it did was make me a little more aware that those kinds of things coexisted with all of these opportunities to do good. So, and probably a lot of positive adult concepts, like yeah. not just like, no, I, learned I don't even know what the negative ones At an accelerated are. rate. I learned about things at an earlier time. So I didn't you, you formulate a worldview that was inhibited by uh, ignorance of the existence of these things. So your mom was taking you to these things. Did she yeah. also take you to, did you also play soccer and all that shit? No. Because I'm wondering what the dip, because when you say you and your mom go to auditions yeah. for nine years, it, do you think it ends up being around the same amount of soccer practices, games, basketball? Oh, interesting. I don't know. We had probably more away games than the average team. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's go, like, yeah, you're like, yeah, in we're in like Montreal. Club and, league. Yeah, just not cities and states and countries. Oh, uh, right. You'd have work. to go shoot for a yeah. month or what was Three the months, long? Uh, we were in, uh, all the, where was that? That was. Yeah, it was all Montreal. A whole For the day my parents got away? The, the day my parents <laughs> no, the day my parents ran away, I was already living alone in LA. I had an apartment of my own and was responsible. How old? Oof, 17. I moved what out. do you make of that looking back? Well, it gives me a different impression of 17-year-olds when I meet them. As far as like, I had a level of certainty and capability, discipline, responsibility to not just succeed, but thrive at an age where no one, no adult would have ordinarily given me that, that level of respect, but I had proven it over and over again, that not only was I good at the thing, but I was going to work hard enough to be awesome at the thing. And if you hired me, not only am I going to come to fucking tear this thing apart, but I'm going to do something memorable that nobody's ever seen. You used to book a lot of shit. <laughs> like you weren't a lot. I was like, oh, fuck that guy. Found my niche. Affable stoner, the like kind of weird best friend yeah. who's always telling you, you should try this carbonated soda. <laughs> <laughs> I always, when I, I do commercials sometimes and I, on pitches, I say like, I'm not going to have people do what I call Sunny D acting. And you're exactly the right age. Do you probably audition for it? Like, Sunny D. We got soda, OJ, purple stuff, and two kinds of Sunny D. You get the they Sunny D shit. I did a whole crush campaign. Like they, so you couldn't do Sunny D? Yeah, but they teed me up. I did their cream soda, their orange soda. It's orange crush. It's got huge taste. It's like massive. And it was a, it was a director. <laughs> I did their grape soda at one point, and they had different flavors for different region, regions. So we would do... Canadian stuff, the Australian stuff. It was crazy. But I got in with this director and this uh, company. And whenever they needed, you know, the kind of accessible slacker, they called me. You can get a rhythm doing commercials uh, yeah. or, or anything. Like when the casting people know you and can count on you for something and then they call you in and you give them what they're mm-hmm. expecting, everybody makes everybody look good. It's very exciting. Yeah. That's how this business runs. We're not here to talk about the business, though. I I try to avoid it, generally speaking. But uh, we're here to talk about blocks, and this kid's got some. Um, before we get to that, so when did you get married? Uh thirteen years ago. Oh, you've been married? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, two thousand ten. Do you? Because I see you socially, especially at the comedy store with Jeff Ross. Oh yeah. And do you? Are you with your wife or no? Yeah. Because I don't. I just see like a scrum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sometimes she goes to the shows. No, uh, the last several times I've been out to meet Jeff, it was just like, okay. Uh, yeah. How'd you meet her? We met in the nerdiest of ways, which is, you know, Comic Con? Yeah. We met in, we, well, actually, no, it was at Golden Apple. 
we that's really a met one? at Golden Apple on Melrose. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's uh, like it's, a it's like a hometown comic shop. Love it. Yeah. So literally. We, yeah, for real. So we both independent of each other when we moved to LA, sought out a home based comic shop and found Golden Apple and became friends with the family that runs it. And at one point they had a grand reopening further down the block and they invited all of their regulars to yeah. participate. It was a whole big day. Stan Lee cut the ribbon. They had a lot of the uh, Hollywood Boulevard superheroes there. <laughs> and they had, um, I got invited to sign a comic. I, I co-created a comic book um, with a buddy of mine that I grew up with and we were signing copies of it. And so Claire, she's um, an amateur photographer, mm -hmm. loves, just loves taking pictures. And they were like, would you take pictures of the event? So when she was setting up, she goes, hey, I'm Claire. I'm not weird. I'm just going to be taking pictures for the shop. So if you see me taking a photo. And I was like, cool. Nice to meet you. And then several months later, we were in San Diego in 2007. At like, Comic-Con. Yeah. And it was starting to go south. Like, I've been going to San Diego since 94, 95. And I, it's almost a secret. You know, you have to... Nobody in our industry is impressed that I can recognize the independent parts of the 1982 G.I. Joe figures. Like, yeah. nobody gives a shit about that. But I can go to Comic-Con. I'm, I'm beyond not impressed. I'm furious. <laughs> yeah, you're mad about it. Yeah. But it's actually something that I can do. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't love that. You know, I can't uh, identify states on a map, but. Sure. Yeah, but well, I've got other information. So, so that was the point. We were hanging out there. Or no, no, no. We were, the thing was kind of turning to shit. I called a friend of mine. He was having a hotel gather and i arrived right as the blunt was ending and uh claire was like we met before i was taking the pictures at the golden apple and i was like oh yeah that's great and she goes do you want to smoke a bowl and i was like yes i do and so everybody else in the room was ready to leave and she and i just hung out there and got high together and made that comic-con a little less Shitty. I always talk about relationships like it's got to feel like special and like yeah. like it has to feel magical like you're robbing the bank where you're oh, like right. we were are you really that. are you really a comic yeah. book photographer she, person like when she where you can't fucking me, believe it I felt like I had actually won the lottery because we we at that point we were friends so we were both seeing other people when we met and serious about those relationships yeah. and didn't have like a romantic vibe at all. And it was months after I'd, I'd broken up that I even reached out to her. And it was my buddy, um, Matt Senreich, as a matter of fact, who was like Facebook friends with the co-creator of Robot Chicken. Mm -hmm. He was the um, Facebook friends with her. And he was like, oh, you should hang out with Claire. And I was like, I'm not trying to date anybody. Like, I actually would, would love just uh, somebody to get high and watch TV with. Maybe that's a thing. He's like, yeah, hey, that's you should what, call her. Yeah, that's what yeah, the seems, whole thing is. It seems great. Um, so I did. I called her up and she came over and we rolled a joint and smoked it together on my balcony. And I was like, Do you, are you hungry? And she was like, yeah. And I go, well, we can, we can order anything or we can go to get anything. Would you like? And she's like, I don't know, whatever. And I go, well, there's an in and out down the street. She's like, oh my God, perfect. Thank God you said that. We got there, ordered the same yeah meal came back and i was like you want to watch some tv or something so i put on and at the time i had tivo and all the things in my queue were the same things that she was watching except that i was watching idol and survivor because it was 2007 it was when that was and yeah it was interesting yeah yeah but it was a year it, it was of, a year of, before of we going dated. like yeah we were just hanging buddies. out like that yeah, we hung out everywhere did and she I have a boyfriend like, huh did she have a boyfriend at the time we were both single and but you weren't, nothing was happening. Neither of us were trying to make this happen. We were, and that's part of why it worked so well is we were very unguarded, very un, um, neither one of us concealed who we were. We weren't trying to. Right. You weren't up, trying so to we like, were just, you, it wasn't, you weren't present, you weren't performing. No, we were very transparently yeah. getting to know each other. And yeah. as a result, we were able to share things about each other that we wouldn't necessarily share. We were able to show acceptance for each other in areas that could, could feel vulnerable yeah it was wild you know and over that period of time just becoming such good friends and even working through i can't speak for her but for me i was really scared to genuinely 
like push this button and commit to this because I was very aware. Commit to I like you. I would yeah. like to yeah, let's touch be together. your boobs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's be. Well, we had like drunkenly hooked up enough to know that we had that kind of chemistry. Oh, so there wasn't no hooking up. No, this was very late in the game. Like we had already been friends for over 10 months before we had that kind of hookup. Okay. And then All we right. had to really explore whether that was possible. The day possible. after that, were you like, ah, what did, what did we do? I think I had a different perspective. I was not as available emotionally as I later discovered she would be in those moments, right? So I hadn't even thought in that moment that that was like a release of new emotion. I thought that was just like a thing that happened and we could still be friends. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. So Obviously you were, if correct. it sounds correctly, you were being a man. Yeah, totally ignorant. And she was, she being, was I would like to endorse a book right now that I'm reading. <laughs> That's so fucking good. I, and I don't want to fuck up the title. The Case Against the Sexual Revolution by Louise Perry. The okay. Case Against the Sexual Revolution by Louise Perry. Anyhow, okay, this is prying, but all right, so you drunkenly hook up. At a certain point, she go, hey, uh, like, does, it, does this mean anything, these hookups? Or does it kind of just, you do it enough that you're like, eh, maybe we should do this. It was never her saying, hey, what is this? It was more, hey, I don't think I could be casual about this. Mm -hmm. And we're either friends or we're doing this. And there can't be like a blur of those lines. And then how long did you take to decide like, well, let's be together? A month. Maybe Great. a month because in that month you're like, well, I don't want to be time to do. I'm I got fucking, shit going on. You don't even know. I'm not trying to like get married. Um, and that was the truth is I felt like, man, if you even start a relationship with this girl, you're going to get. Married. Yeah, you're going to have to marry her. Yeah, but not have you're going to. You're like, going this to. This is the girl. Yeah. 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 And so you kind of dragged your feet because you knew like once it started well i had also just gotten out of like a multi a series of multi-year relationships that were n not necessarily in my best interest you know and had to check my own meter and give me an example no okay um uh <laughs> those are all real people <laughs> that still exist you know what i mean but uh but you could i get yeah yeah, you do. Well, I, I'll give you the easiest of examples. I recognize what was that, your tendency? Yeah. that I was exploring um, a much younger age than could offer me any kind of legitimate understanding. Got it. And I had someone, uh, a woman that I trust in my life say, hey, you know, the girl you're looking for isn't going to be able to see you behind this wall of women. Great. But it was that. It was that. It was like accepting that it was okay to try hard. To have something that I, I said I always wanted and then to really do the work along the way. to And be you able weren't to keep bullshitting it. when you said you really wanted it. You know, I could lie and say that I liked being unattached. But what I liked was um, being able to have that level of physical intimacy with somebody that I didn't have to have impede the rest of my life. Right. And what I always craved was an actual partner like an actual bestie who i really enjoy spending time with who i feel like i could continue to evolve with and learn from and be inspired by and be surprised by and that that experience would be worth the required effort of like being in it for real yeah, yeah and not bullshitting about it and being able to take responsibility and be like, oh, you know, I fucked up. Or, oh my God, I came in here with an attitude and I accused you of having an attitude and it was me. And I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and being able to do that work together. So were you able to fall in love quicker once you once you guys decided? Was it like, oh, oh yeah, we're pretty much in love? Seconds, yeah. It was, I knew like, it, and it was kind of an amazing thing. Like we had a, a, a double date that we were... Um, we had put on the books months ago uh, with friends of ours and we were, you know, not together, but like on a fancy date and drinking and uh, we, it was just coming to a head. We're out with a couple that's married that had a kid and the same night that she was willing, she was ready to tell me that she couldn't see me anymore. Like we couldn't be friends and not be together. Like it's actually not a comfortable thing. I 
told her that I couldn't be without her, that I didn't want to be with anybody else. Small world. Crazy, right? Uh, and was that the night you said you loved each other or it was just like... I don't remember. When it is we funny when you're other, going to feels... a formal event with a woman you're not <laughs> technically. It's like, come on. Yeah. Like, who are you kidding? Well, it was the Magic Castle. We were having like a fun. I I pictured the Magic Castle. Did you? I Thanks. really did. I know I did for some reason. I don't know why. So you and your wife, it sounds like it's fucking great. It's work. It's it, a lot it, of work. We both put in the work. And that's, I think, how, how much when you say the work, because I think a lot of times people hear relationships are a lot of work yeah. and then they go. I've stayed in relationships way too long thinking relationships are a lot of work. Well, it's not like a lot of work, like, oh, this slog of work, but it is you got to show up. You have to be accountable. And if you say you're going to do something, you got to do it. And then if you don't do it, you have to be able to say, oh, my God, I didn't do it. I'm so sorry. Instead of being like, well, fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so that's what I mean. It's a lot of work. So you it sounds to- like you can't treat her like a male roommate. You you have like, to like what the fuck man No you have to control your own emotions you have to be able to govern your responses to to stimulants that's that's the biggest bit of work that I do in relationships I make sure that if I fuck up I take accountability for do that Do you have a plan <laughs> meaning uh, do you go like hold on let me just get my let me get this together real quick or can, are you good because my absolutely. my problem absolutely. is that i try to take things moment. happen so quickly yeah that what they call in the nba a bang bang play right that just and i don't know what that score. means it sounds it's just basically quick, just though. like the what right <laughs> <laughs> inbound what huh yeah like that so that happens emotionally where they, they say something you're yelling and you're like i don't even know i'm still i'm still before you yelled yeah and now we've gotten so what have you done to what's um, well, the emotional hygiene yeah when i was younger i did a ton of psychedelics um did everything when i was older i did go uh, ahead well i you know everybody comes to it at a different yeah. place i had that same realization you that i, I just did a little... younger and i did ls i did it as a party younger and i oh. did it as a mm. as a real thing as a as in my 40s yeah like uh, in in an effort to explore yourself yeah I just wanted to be in a better mood. Really? And, and LSD? Was uh, what not you chose? LSD. Uh, oh. Ayahuasca and oh. mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good, man. That's a great... Did you have I'm, a... I, did you have talk, like a, I talk about ayahuasca so much. So much. Okay. It's nauseating at this point. I understand. Well, you know, those um, types of revelations I sought out when I was really young. How so, young? Uh, 16 is the first time I did ask. Why? Well, uh, what? Consciously, you were like... I, I want, want to grow this up. knowledge. Yeah. Well, it wasn't I want to grow up as much as I had done so much reading. I read like crazy when I was a kid. And so a lot of anecdotal stories about um, LSD. I read, uh, you know, the Mary Prankster's mm-hmm. story, like uh, Ken Kesey, um, the electric Kool-Aid acid test. Like I was just curious about that. And then there was a point where I wanted to do a school report on were you going to homeschool? What were you doing? I uh, I, I graduated from a, a, a public school in Philadelphia, but I had a lot of remote education with social workers and uh, studio teachers when I was mm-hmm. on uh, site. But they let me maintain a regular curriculum with my classes so that I could at least stay current. Yeah. Um, and I wrote a report <laughs> about the government's unredacted experiments with LSD in the 60s. So I was real curious about the fact that it's just, interesting how many people come to the same conclusion about what is consciousness and what is our access Mm -hmm. to it and how do you separate yourself from all of these stimulus and all of these um creative or or cultural overlays of like how you are what your parents give you in your dna separated from like what you can be what you can feel what Mm -hmm. you can emote what you can um i don't know relate to and I, the, at a period of time when I was doing a ton of theological study, I was just curious, like, what are the unifying factors for religions? What is it that everyone's really trying to get at? It's that same place of consciousness, that stillness, the connectivity to everything. everything yeah. Right. And so acid seemed to shortcut you into that consciousness. It, it makes you keenly aware of the idea that well cause it doesn't i'm I'm, I'm gonna object to sh- uh shortcut you did it at a it, party no, no, no. though it's so the, you're no, no, no i'm saying the... it's the only cut oh interesting. i'm saying interesting. i'm saying it's not like 
there's much of another way to get there. I to me, well, have you ever meditation, meditation? Yeah, yeah, meditation, but serious meditation. Yeah, meditation, heat, hatha yoga. It's the kind of stuff that is like you you breathe. I mean, it's probably what people were doing at Stonehenge is putting themselves into some kind of altered state so that they can feel the divinity of unified consciousness. Totally agree. Right. So, I, but even that, those, I guess they're all shortcuts, but I don't know. So I think there's either that, there's like 10 years or an hour. Well, you know. In a good way. I don't, and, I don't think they're shortcuts. Here's what I point. say. Oh, I, I appreciate that. The distinction of the classification. Yeah, Cause but, it sounds like, like lazy or something and it's not. I definitely didn't take it like that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I come from video game culture where secret doors are secret doors where your, you know, equipment inside this treasure chest, you, you're going to take it. So right. you, you don't um, issue your potential upgrades just because you got there quicker than somebody else. Just because you went, you got that book. Yeah. They used to be in books. Yeah, right. <laughs> so with acid, I was really curious about that. And I took it in earnest, not at like a party, but with like a, here's my goal. Here is what I want to explore. Here's where I'm trying to review. And I kept notes. Like I was time, I'm taking my pulse. Like, how do I feel? I'm 30 minutes in. What do I, you know, I was really so obnoxiously So it sounds like you maybe because of the acting, you didn't have a ton of friends <laughs> and I don't say that. It's no, like, I mean, it, it sounds true. like a yeah. young, it sounds very like talented you had your own yeah. thing and you probably didn't, I mean, you're hanging out with adults a lot yeah. and you probably just de- like the kids your age weren't doing it for you or they thought you were weird or it, you I had found your a own. a lot of my people when I moved to LA and was yeah. amongst other performers yeah. that were trying to make a living at performing. Yeah. Like, and as soon as I really committed to joining the circus it was welcoming and and accessible to me but you have to do the fucking work that's the point there is no it's that great the meme you know what's the secret and then you open up it's like work hard yeah (laughs) that's it so disappointing it is but it's the truth and when you when you accept that you know what i mean when you really accept that hey none of this is going to come I think about that with the industry all the time. People think that talent is enough to drive you permanently. You have to constantly be evolving and getting better and improving and demonstrating why yeah. you're here. Yeah. Yes. There is no just showing up. That may, all right, we were talking about your, your emotional hygiene in your yeah. relationship. So, so you do that. You do the acid as a kid. <laughs> I did it, but there was a period of time where I was like hard investigating and and disciplined about it to do it on the weekends. So I would work at a committed level on whatever I was doing, like very intentionally. And then uh, on the TV weekends, shows or movies or whatever, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And then and then on the weekend, I in a very controlled environment, do this kind of experimentation. Okay, but you mention it in regards to your emotional hygiene with your yeah. wife. Yeah, well, in every capacity, like. Because the, there's things that you see under that influence that the, your your ability to God's eye, your own, it, it, your identity, your your ego, your id, to, to like really separate from those and say, what is holding me back? What am I presenting with? You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. That, that but, stuff. So I got there at a, as a teenager and used all those tools to continue to build on that. And it's not, that wasn't like an instant Right, win. that's I'm, what I'm saying. I'm almost... Right. So I've had, so I've had consistent. I'm going to bleep it. Anytime we talk about our anybody, I bleep age. Uh, and Why? Because it's hilarious. Because it's funny. A, because it's that disgusting how old we are. It's a crime. Oh. We're kids. Don't you get it? Well, that is kind of the revelation, right? Is that everybody feels. Nobody like feels a, their age. Like yeah. a teenager so until let's, they, let's until bleep they it. die. Um, You're like, what the fuck? But what I was going to say. No, I, that's what I, I don't like when people our age, you see them. I remember when you were like the kid in radio days sure. and then i see you growing up and i'm like wait i'm not fucking well, <laughs> thankfully you still you still strike me as like a teenager <laughs> i mean that in a positive way do you know yeah, what i mean like I, I will never see you as what someone who's never seen you before will <laughs> see you Oh, that's interesting. I wonder. Definitely they didn't see you on that. the fucking can hardly wait post. You know what I mean? Like, are you wearing a head? You're wearing a goggles. Is that you? Well, I've definitely got the swim goggles. Okay. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, so you get some enlightenment, but then you spend 15 years dating the wrong kind of girl. Sure. Yeah. But that's a different kind of burden, can you right? Like it? You, yeah, I can. I, uh, I, you, you, you always emulate 
what you've witnessed. And so there was a disposability to relationships. Um, and then there was also this assumption that being married meant screaming at the top of your lungs at each other. Oh, right. Right. So I come out into the dating world and I'm convinced that what I, especially when I hit LA and everybody's like, yo, you got to play games, dude. You got to like mental hijinks, these women, you got to like trick these girls into thinking you don't like them. You got to treat them like shit, all this stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all right. Is that the way to get laid? Like, okay, I'll do my best. It took me a really long time to realize that I didn't need to do any of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to tell you the truth, the drugs helped. It was like, why are you? The drugs that, but, so this is your drug. You you continue to do hallucinogenics yeah. for, throughout your 20s? No, no. I, I mean, the last time I did anything in earnest, I was like maybe 20. Okay. All right. Yeah. So what I'm from like talking about after 20, 20, the people I you did dated. a ton of exploration. Got that it. was kind of the point of it. I guess I'm just, it's, I guess what I'm saying, it's hard. It's hard to get everything right. 100%. I didn't do ayahuasca until uh, just about eight, maybe eight or nine years ago. And right. I, it was not like I was saving it, but I knew it's a very different type of exploration. So like I've done things like DMT and mescaline and all of those other like, I mean, DMT is the shortest shortcut straight, DMT, guys. straight to- Did you do Bufo? Bufo? Alvarius, the toad venom one? No, I haven't done that. secretion one? That's no, the one I, I did that, that oh. if you watch Blocks on Netflix, the the my experience is yeah. so, it was so fucking insane. I did uh, five MEO DMT, like Bufo Alvarius. It's like the nuclear bomb of psychedelics. And I think I went too far. I remember you talking about that. It was so fucking crazy. It broke me for what I thought was about nine months. It turns out, it had, I just closed it like eight weeks ago. No shit. Yeah, after a year and a half. But and wh what was it? Just like the trauma uh, of the I visions? was I no. It had nothing to do with my anything on earth. It was Something I chemical? went to. Well, no, I just went to what Michael Pollan described as before the Big Bang. Mm. And uh, you know, I I don't think it's great for people to go there, <laughs> but I'm better off. If you're able to reconcile it. I yes, but yeah. there were a couple of days there where it wasn't we weren't gonna go on. So I hear you, it man. was insane. It yeah. was insane. So what's the emotional hygiene with your wife? And then we gotta get some locks. <laughs> um we check in with each other all the time. And we're um forgiving of each other's moments. And I, you know, I can be really sensitive. She um grew up in a household that is incredibly aggressive it's you know she's the oldest of eight kids and so she's got a, she ton a of, catholic irish none of that no, got she's it. got like uh she's born in memphis um got they it. got the a ton of um aggressive like sarcastic cynical uh -huh. like d d loud yeah and disparaging mm -hmm. to the bone like mm -hmm. zero to 60 go fuck yourself and i'm i've spent so long in my life pulling out of that kind of environment and creating like a quiet space for myself to feel safe and comfortable. And we challenge each other in those tempos from time to time. So what I, what we've had to do um, in therapy is, you know, come to understandings about what we do to each other, where our triggers are, and then be honest about wanting to do it differently. And, and then be active in catching those moments as they happen and not punishing each other for um, infractions, but more being like, oh my God, that's that thing that we're working on. That's that thing we're working on. And here right. we are. Here we are. Remember? Okay, I know how to yep. solve this. We've got tools. Yeah. Great. Introducing Mando from the makers of Loom Deodorant. Mando whole body deodorant is the all-terrain vehicle of deodorants. ATV for short, if you're super cool. It goes everywhere is the point. You can put it on your pits. You can put it on your package. Put it on your feet. Put it if you got skin folds. Not me. Too skinny. Back, knees, everywhere. Point is, body odor happens all over your body. So why are you just putting deodorant on your pits? It's a good point. Because, you know, you ever smell somebody and you're like, that's not from their pits. But it's not 
good. Mando is powerful. It's clinically proven to control odor everywhere, but gentle enough for your sensitive bit. Try Mando's cologne quality scents and smell the difference from your underarms to your under testicles. Special offer. New customers get $5 off a starter pack with our exclusive code and link. Use code NEAL, N-E-A-L, at shop. Mando, that's S-H-O-P-M-A-N-D-O dot com. I've tried it two days in a row now. Uh, I'm going to tell you where I put it. I put it on my pits and I put it on my upper back and I put it not, you know, I have fairly, I got to, you know what I mean? So that's where I, I, uh, I put it where I felt like I needed it. Actually, you know what? Today I put it on like love handle. It works. It's, it's pretty like seamless. Like I smell, smell good. You know, Mando is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. Again, I'm working up to more areas, but I trust it'll work. You can put it on your pits, your packages, your grundle and balls, belly buttons, butt cracks, stinky crevices, stomach folds, and feet. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how normal BO was being misdiagnosed and mistreated, and it's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. How? Well, unlike some deodorants that try to mask odor with a fragrance, Mando is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. More like a preodorant. Am I right, ladies? Not a deodorant, a preodorant. It's baking soda-free and paraben-free. pH balance for safe use below the belt. Clinically proven to control odor better than a shower with soap alone. 12 hours after a shower, the average man's grundle odor level was... A 5 out of 10. With Mando, the average grundle odor is a 0 out of 10. Mando's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for my friends and listeners, new customers get $5 off a Mando starter pack with code NEAL at shopmando.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit shopmando.com and use code NEIL. Mando. Block number one. We will have blocks before this, but the ones you <laughs> present, which I appreciate. Moving too fast. Yeah. Tell us about moving too fast. Sometimes I get very excited. Um, I'll see the end of a very big picture at the beginning and want to get there without rigorously taking the steps towards it. Is this and, professional? Yeah. Largely? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it can be as simple as like, well, I'm gonna get all this shit downstairs. I'll probably put more in my hands than I can manage down the stairs just yeah. to make it like one trip. That you know, what's funny about, uh, any, uh, just about every time you drop and break something. Yeah. It's because you're trying to, it's the most obvious metaphor, maybe on earth. Yeah. Yep. And we do it constantly. Yeah. Patience. Patience is, uh, it's, it's something I really aspire towards and also something that challenges. Me. All right. So it's just a thing you've had to de- get a grip on this need to go, go, go. Yeah. Did you do it with your wife? You do it with friends? Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere. Don't you get All it? over. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just moving too quick. Yeah. Yeah. You were f- half an hour early for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm coming, but you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, I just want to make sure I had the parking right. Cause, yeah, yeah. What do you tell yourself to get over? Like, slow down. That's it. Shh, take a breath. All day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I that's, mean, it's, it can be worse. Truth, Neil, that's why the weed. Quite frankly, like I'm there, there's there's all evidence points to the fact that I would test high for ADHD. You know what I mean? I've never taken that test because, man, I don't want you. It, you just passed the test because you didn't even say that. You said ADHD. Oh, <laughs> AD, You said ADHD. I don't know what you said, but you skipped the second ADD. ADHD. ADHD. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you won't even say it. You got. You got. Give him. Give him the fucking medal. He doesn't. He's, got this shit. He can't even pronounce the second AD. Yeah. Number two. I'm guilt, very guilty of this. Talk more than listen. Yeah. Tell me about your trials with with um, talking too much. Um, it's pretty constant. Uh-huh. I uh, and I don't even know why. I don't know what is that impulse to be the one who's saying something. Like, there's probably some inherent desire to be to just be contributive 
or participatory, mm-hmm. but I find myself interrupting people more often than letting them finish a thought. And so it's a, a thing that I work on all the time. I'm right there with you. And I think what I tell myself is that I do want to contribute. I mean, I, the, I, I'm of two minds about it. The, the, Errol Morris, who the great documentary director, Fog of War, Thin Blue Line, et cetera, et cetera. And Chipotle commercials, literally directs Ooh, Chipotle commercials. That's where the money is. Tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> is the voice offline, literally the, the or off camera. He's asking about, is, what do you tell me about the avocados? So is this stuff really fresh? Yes. It's one of the most famous documentary directors a lot. <laughs> Because his movies don't make money. Um, and uh, so what his philosophy of documentary directing is just don't respond to people you're interviewing and they will spill the beans. Right now I'm like, because you didn't respond, I want to go like, ah. No. Um, and I've it, practiced yeah. this lack of response because I catch myself. You, I'm sure we watch this tape back. I will, I'm like, can't help but monologue for a while. And also, I'm I'm deeply tangential. I get very. This is the the ADHD thing where I'm pretty sure it's probably. I can't stay focused. Yeah, I know. I'm with you, and it is. You do have to train yourself, and I and I also want to be entertaining. So that thing you were talking about tangential, some of it is uh, like ball hogging. Yeah, but some of it's like, hey, here's a thing I read. I don't know. It's interesting. Here's a I didn't need to say to read the book, but it just seems like you want information from me or you want to connect. You know, it's like connection yeah. and information. But if you overwhelm people, I think it's a comedian's instinct, too, is when you're getting a little bit of noise, you want that role. You want that role. And I can't help it but to, like, get the waves churning to the point where I get that roll. And right. I, I have to – it was a little bit easier when I was, like, working all the time in front of the camera rather than so much behind the camera because you, you excise those demons all the time. Like, your job, your task is to do this thing for this purpose. So you can actually – you know, focus all of your energy towards that expression and then go be a normal person <laughs> in regular right. life. Um, I find my instincts take me to this performative place. Like I've got an itch to scratch. I have a question. Yeah. Do you think being an actor makes you think, I was talking to a friend of mine who had, and he, he had done a talk show and he was like, I think I'm just talking out loud in public too much and I have no... I I just like think I'm everything I say is entertaining and everything I say is magical or whatever. Do you think that that happens when you're act when you're successfully performing? Cuz it is like one right now you're uh, technically being starved of attention. That's why you're like you overtalk. But when you're when you are being fed attention, would you ever feel like I don't need yeah. I don't need attention. Like yeah. I'm full. Oh my God. Of course. Yeah. 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 There was a period of like several years where I was doing t- like two features a year. And that, that also meant that I was doing like a gauntlet of publicity right. twice a year. And when that started working in tandem with going to Comic-Con and doing panels and having like appearances and all the interviews and press associated with releasing something, I spend several years just talking to the point where I almost get stuck in that interview mode. Oh, like, I know like, people like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Justine Bateman had a really good point of view about that, just about understanding your own place as a celebrity, what your actual responsibilities are when you go out in public and how many times you see people get kind of so plugged into that mode that they don't know how to actually relate to each other. Yeah, I can tell when someone's in that mode and I just like kind of I there's a friend of mine who I just saw in New York who I spent like a lot of time with and a year ago I would have paid not to spend time with him. <laughs> and it's just because of where he is in a promo cycle mm-hmm. and they just become like, you know, it's funny. Uh, they it they're right. they're doing answers for press junket and it's it's like, dude, just fucking talk to me. I don't need 
I don't need canned anecdotes that like set 40 seconds. You need 40 seconds. Right. Here we go. So when we're on set. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, the thing about Cruz, man, he really <laughs> sets the bar. Like if he's running, you got to run too. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, work too much. Yeah. Don't, do you have any emotional problems? <laughs> Meaning, do you, what are your insecurities? Um, it's like an, a general imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? But, but, it, but it's, here's the fucked up thing, man. I learned so young that you have to be awesome. You know what I'm saying? To get on camera, to be able to be a spokesperson, to be trusted, not just with this performance, but with what this performance represents for any of these massive super corps that are putting like, hundreds of millions of dollars behind a thing that rests on an element of you. Like I, A, learned real quick, you can't take that personally, no matter how talented you are, no matter how awesome when you are. When they say no? When they say no, that I see a lot of celebrities get a shot where they're like, all of a sudden they can do whatever they want and they take it personally. Like, oh, this is me. Right. I'm finally being reward, rewarded for my awesomeness. They get it of, now. Yeah, instead of just like you've put in this hard work and this is just how the shit can go. Like you're never going to get selected if you're not top notch. They're never hiring somebody who's going to take the six months to get ready. You have to already be something for them to want to invest that time to give you the Marvel body. Like whatever version of it it is, you don't get there without putting your effort in. And so I understood that axiom so early that I never mistook any of my success for specialness. It was, yes, I've got a quality. Yeah, I have an inherent instinct for how to make things funny. And I have a, a complicated enough understanding of storytelling that I recognize what my role should be in whatever presentation. But not to the degree that... Um, you think you're good at the thing. I think I'm good at the thing. And yeah, I also that know mean- that it takes hard work. And if I stop working hard, I'm less good at the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you have to continue to run track if you want to be quick. You want right. your instincts to be, it's okay to run. You, you, you have to be able to hike. You have to have the endurance constantly to be able to manage the task. And so my insecurity comes less from, oh my God, I'm not good enough. I'm not special enough. I'm not, you know, whatever. And more from, have I worked hard enough? Have I practiced hard enough? Have I made these things so ingrained in me that I can, I can do it without thinking? You know what I mean? Yeah. And success is always tied to that. And then there's just the luck of the fucking draw. Like you, you met, you might be the thing or you might not. There's a, a million things I don't look like. So I'm never going to get cast yeah. in that. No well, matter okay. how good so, an actor I am, do, I'm not going to get cast. Do you, so looks for guys height, uh-huh. is that, are these issues? What do you think? No, of that cause shit? if I was tall, I'd have to fight against Paul Bettany, but like my entire career it was so clear that I wasn't going to be the handsome guy that kissed so you the just, girl. Like you I immediately hard into that. You yeah, immediately time, accepted that. Yeah. So there was a period of time, especially post radio days when I was like 14 years old, about to turn 15 and could not get work like 15 at all. Just sort of, there was a year of just not getting anything. And I had come off of like um, doing the spinoff of facts of life and was, was hard work. And I had just done, can't buy me love. Like I was doing features for major companies. And so, but I looked categorically different. I was not the kid from any of those things. I was something else. And I I was like, man, I've got to get in there. What do I actually love? And the truth is I love character actors. Like I'm not trying to be Tom Cruise or Matt Dillon. I'm trying to be, I'm young. Who's Matt Dillon? <laughs> no, I don't know who you're talking about. Get the fuck uh, out of I mean, here. you know what I mean though? Like yeah. Matt, if I'm young, yeah, that's I've never heard of Matt Dillon. Sure. Like, Matt Do you Damon? want me to cater to your audience? Matt or Damon? Or, I don't know who they are. We just have a conversation. Um, yeah, that's what Google's for. Uh, I can look up Matt Dillon. Okay. So, so you, that's great. So you never. Yeah. So when I'm insecure, to, it's like, I'm not prepared. So when I go to a party with other, with like uh, highly successful people, if I go to like a 
an Oscar party or something like that. My insecurity comes from the fact that have I done enough? Have I been practicing enough? Can I present myself to my peers and say out loud that I'm prepared? Prepared for a party or prepared for, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, prepared for any of it. For a party? Yeah. What does that mean? You mean It means like being able to show up and confidently hang out without needing to make it a spectacle on your own behalf. You can just be at ease. You're Got comfortable. It. You're not like performing. Is that because, are you talking about doing work at your job? Yeah. Okay, you're not talking about like, come on, we're going to go to this party. You're not hyping yourself up for the party. You're just saying like, no, but I, I think, work very I think hard. like most people, I have a tremendous social anxiety, especially Huge. about interacting with people that I haven't seen that I see maybe once a year or once every three years and yet have a collected shared community. And with. what do you, how do you, what do you do before a party like that? Because I just, I have a thing that I do, which is I don't go yeah we definitely do a lot of not going which is it only it only hurts you because the truth is when you take the opportunity to socialize in an easy way with your peers and not have any pressurized performance um aspect about it it's really rewarding because you feel a little less alone you're like oh my god all these relative strangers are trying to do the same thing that i am this means something it's worthwhile you know yeah, I mean? I mean, there are times when I've gone and felt more alone. Absolutely. So that's why, though, because I'm just very aware of like status differences, even if they're subtle. Yeah. And it bugs me out. It bugs you out. Yeah. Do you think anybody else is thinking about those differences? Yeah. Judging you? Yep. I think it's inherent. I think it's inherent in human existence. And is your grievance that there's judgment or that there's a disparity it's not a grievance per se with them it's just like this is not a comfortable thing for me Hmm. being like low status or medium status or high when i'm high status i feel bad for the you know what i mean like i just don't like i'm very aware of it Hmm. and i just makes it less enjoyable i really just like talking to one person that's just what i lo- like i yeah. really conversational monogamist just one yes one <laughs> person at a time honestly i don't like groups i don't like ha did i tell you about jeff and steve came by ha you get it lefty i don't like i don't enjoy that it just feels goofy it i can do it but I, it feels phony to me i understand that anyhow discipline with exercise yeah go on well, I used to be really, really good at it when I was very young. I think I was about 15 when I started like going to a gym and attempting to strengthen m- my muscles and also um, improve. <laughs> I think you're talking about exercising. Yeah, exercise. Well, it's like improve your flexibility, um, create a readiness, especially as an actor. You get asked to do all kinds of crazy shit. Right. Stuff that would not be germane to the role that you're playing. And you just have to take on physical tasks that it can be anything. And then on top of that, you need endurance to go all day to be able to sit still for hours at a time while the shit is getting prepped. And then the second they call action, yeah, you got to hit the fucking mark, yeah. do the thing. The rain is blowing. The thing is pulling you. And you might have to do it twice. So you got to be ready. I have a- I have a question, which I've never actually asked an actor. It's something I assume. But when you go to set, especially on a TV show where you have to shoot a lot of shit in a day, do you kind of think like, I have to do this in three takes? Even if it's dialogue, I have to do this in two takes? There's definitely an understanding that you might not get more than a couple takes. Like if the director is moving, I snap a lot, huh? Um, If a director is moving quickly or they have to make a day, there is a really good chance that they're going to, you're going to have to trust that first take. Right. Yeah. So, well, so there is a that, bit of yeah. being prepared enough to like get it right the first time, but also emotionally accept if you got it right the first time and you don't get a second shot at it. And they're like, all right, we're moving on to like emotionally be able to say, all right, we're moving on. Yeah. Cause I feel bad when I'm working with like a star and then the other person in the scene and I give the star six takes. And I give the other person one. <laughs> well, you know, there is a, you need, you as a director need to know what about this moment is important. And sometimes if the person doing the line gets it right, you don't need alternatives. No, I get and then, that. I feel bad the for the line, actor. I yeah, just feel bad. For, and I tell them like, hey, just so you know, I'm giving them a lot of takes. 
and I'm giving you maybe one or two. That's very generous of you to let them know in advance. Man, a lot of directors don't yeah. communicate and you're left thinking like, did yeah. I fuck it up? Do they just not care? Am I going to be yeah. cut? Whatever yeah, version like, of no, it. no, I have to cater to. Yeah. Well, you bring them in on it. That's very generous. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm a fucking great person. And I think people <laughs> learn that. Yeah. I think over the years, that. I think everybody, there's one thing that's certain, death taxes and that I'm great. Right. Everybody says that. Um, <laughs> all over the town. So you basically are not disciplined anymore for exercise. No, it's not that. It's just the pandemic really made it uh, a lot easier for me to stop doing that on the regular. And I would do stuff that's as basic as like, all right, I'm going to do 100 sit-ups today. I'm gonna, all right, I'm going to do 100 push-ups today. And even if it's not... Um, at the same time, do 25 at a time, like four times throughout sure. the day. Um, committing to that every day. If I do one thing, I'm going to do these push-ups, right? I've lost a bit of that discipline to say, well, I'm going to do that. So days go by without it where I just don't do it. Do you feel worse? Yeah. Interesting. I yeah. can't note things body, like people go, you're vegan. You feel better? No. You're, <laughs> when you're, I'm you're exercising no. on the regular and l like on a bike with my keeping my wind up and my body feels stretched and ready, that's when I feel the best. And I'm sure that's like kid actor shit in me, just like always feeling ready. You don't get hired for stuff. You know what I mean? No one's looking to improve you to make you right for the part. You gotta be. You have to be better than their expectations. You gotta or be as good or better. You gotta be ready for the thing. I Is can't that tell kid you, actor I'm, shit? Probably. Every kid actor I know that's stuck around, they have that deeply ingrained thing. Like me and um, I'm I'm good friends with Macaulay Culkin. I'm uh -huh. good friends with Sarah Geller. Like we've all known each other yeah. years. And um, even Brenda Song, you've got this thing in you that's like a willingness to work hard, a willingness to put your well, share you, of effort in it is is part of it just like a weird psychological thing of pleasing adults when you're a kid it, they I all seem really like thought about they want to like please adults that's really interesting i got so attracted to storytelling at a young age and i saw an audience i got to it's my mom worked at summer camps and i hung out with all the teenagers i was like five years old four or five yeah. years old hanging out with all the teenagers and the ones that were doing talent shows or drama program, I was just so excited by this idea, playing pretend, creating imagine imaginary circumstances, and then convincing the audience that this is real, even for the benefit of making a joke or telling a story or relating something emotionally significant. I just was so attracted to the concept. And the, I got to do this talent show with these kids, and they let me improv at fucking five. And then the next summer camp my mom worked in, I begged the drama program to let me get on stage with them. And they wouldn't um, until the second term of the summer camp. They let me have one line in Hello, Dolly. What was the line? She's here. She's here. <laughs> Dolly Double. is here. She's here. She's, She's here. here. Dolly's here. Dolly's here. The and then Dolly's Dolly here. comes in. Hello, everybody. And they do the Hello, Dolly, like the whole review. And I always say about musicals, they could have just left it at Hello, Dolly. Right. They didn't have to sing. Right. Everybody said hello. Right. There's none what of those are you other... doing? Yeah, you get the vibe. Tell me what you need me to know. I don't need a song about somebody entering. I feel that way about Les Mis. Like, Les Mis is the, is the, the ultimate, man, somebody's got to speak something. You know what I'm saying? Somebody please say something? No, say something, like, a, like speak something, because everything is, hello, Neil. I cannot oh, help but fuck, notice fuck you have a topo chico. kill me. You're a dangerous man. Nothing that I prefer more than a cold oh, carbonated fuck. water. Store a loaf of bread. You know what I'm saying? That makes me crazy. I hate that shit. Uh, I like the Carol King musical because she's a songwriter. So the reason they would sing is because she she go, hey, I wrote a song today. And then she'd play a fucking excellent song. And then her husband was also a songwriter. And he go, I wrote one. And it was fucking great because it made sense why they were singing. It wasn't sure. just this weird reality where people format, sang. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the people pleasing thing. Yeah. For me, it was always just the excitement of putting on a show. Like, I You're really. You're very positive in a way that I find admirable. Like, I, I envy in that you go into investigations of ideas wanting to come to some positive conclusion it seems yeah. like i like understanding things but because there's a reason there's a root origin for whatever this thing is and i like getting to the bottom of that but i feel like you're more apt to give it 
come to a positive conclusion. I then believe I am. deeply in the inherent goodness of people. Even though I'm constantly witness to the absolute Why? worst. Why? Because I've seen it, man. I've, I've seen, seen it, it also. I'm saying. You've I, seen it. You've felt it. Yeah. You've had those moments of like real connection with somebody. Even if it's a hug. Like you knew Saget. Saget, man. He uh -huh. made you feel loved and yeah. seen. And I aspire to that. That's, that's like a good way to look. No, There's, there are people. There is that sort of like that we're all in this together Saget was great yeah. with Life that Saget Rock hard, said dude. Saget loved being a comedian yeah. like he was openly yes. loved being a comedian were you there the night that that Robin Williams died there was like an, an emergency get together no. at the Comstock I ran into to Bob there and we were like sitting in a booth together and just trying to deal with it and I can't remember who went up might have been Norm went up and, and bob was just like the second norm was like he was into two jokes and bob was like i gotta i gotta go i gotta go and he went up on stage just went right up and like crushed just crushed yeah it. like made us all roll about it like cry and laugh and i was like man that is your superpower yeah i don't have that superpower i don't either but I, I knew it early but too, that I, I couldn't do stand I, up like that me i mean eh, but what i'm saying is that's a that's a good mood helper I'm betting yeah. is that your if your mo is to kind of see the good, yeah, it's so much better than me looking for like. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. It's I've been there fucking, though. I've ah. spent years. I spent years in that headspace, and it you know didn't make anybody feel good, especially not me. So it's that same thing about like, is this going to change, or am I going to change? Right. I'm going to change it by making fun of it. That's my. Absolutely. That's my. Yeah, my, man. When I'm at a funeral, I'm going to have the best zingers because that shit's hard to yeah. take. Yes. I think that's the, the thing. You know, Bob, Robin, comedians like that. You just, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it can really be. And the opportunity to make somebody smile instead of frown is so precious. I almost feel hearing about it. It, like being a person is hard or yeah. funerals are hard life is yeah. fucking hard dude it is hard being a person growing almost, up being a kid being a person being an adult being a, a somebody's kid somebody's parent all of it is hard all of it is so hard and we really are all in it together everybody's having the same experience just your version of it you know yeah i mean a part of me had the thought that it's easier if you're funny definitely helps but i f i feel like my comedy was something that i nurtured because i loved making people laugh right i loved being able to change the vibe to take something that was like sour and then give it a boost where everybody lets off a little steam yeah yeah i was i was inspired to that very very young I don't think it was because I had, like I hear Stern talk about how he could never get his dad's attention except for yeah. being on the radio because the radio was the only thing that his dad cared about. And I don't remember any incident where I was like, oh, my mom, my parents are upset and angry and I have to like So it sounds like your parents up. were sort of pretty tempestuous. I mean, they- Not a great connection between them, maybe? Well, you know, they were both teachers and I think the best assessment is here's two people that had kids. Like they didn't- they're not experts. They're not superheroes. They certainly didn't have great um, instructions themselves. They're, they're, the examples they had of parenting were pretty intense too. So I don't know, me making peace with the fact that they split up and that's okay. Sometimes people just get together for this moment and that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I got to that when I was like 17 years old. So right. it definitely helped me build upon that. After you'd moved far, far away from them. I did. Um, yeah, yeah. Literally <laughs> across no the country. I got away from Oh, yeah. We got just two struggling kids that I absolutely needed to get away from. That's what, uh, but, but uh, Claire and I, we both talk about that, that we left the house when we were 16 years old. And probably because of the fact that our lives weren't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we both knew it with some certainty that this is not my life. Yeah. I, I waited till I was 17, but yeah, <laughs> to go to NYU. It was like when I got the letter, it was like, it was like my freedom papers. It was yeah. like fucking wow. Um, all right. With that in mind, because you've told me the things you did to get 
sort of better at some of your mental health or personal woes. Therapy and uh, and psychedelics, anything else yeah. that made your life better for you? There was a there was a period of time where I was going to the um, uh, meditation center in um, Palisades, the mm -hmm. Self Realization Fellowship. Mm -hmm. Scientology. I'm kidding. No, it's <laughs> you know the thing about. It's tough, and it's part of why I stopped like attending in person. It um, you can't help who else is attracted to community I know. and betterment. Yeah, and I found myself just by being recognizable in a kind of compromised position to have a similarity of experience. Yeah, um, but I attended a bunch of um, sermons and got a lot of really helpful instruction about meditation and um, super basic sun salutation kind of shit. Like keep, keep a pot, start your day with intent rather than just waking up in pain or in discomfort. Look at your phone. Was that part of the yeah, second? Oh, the said second. Yeah. Like wake up. Yeah. Uh, reach for my phone. Uh, and like, uh, what's fuck in my Twitter. Fuck. Uh, um, oh, everybody's uh, pissed. I should get pissed. Oh. <laughs> Let me wake up angry. <laughs> Let me brush my teeth and get pissed. Yeah. Um, oh, like, let's get ready. <laughs> um, Seth Green, everybody. Can you believe it? After all this time, Seth Green, still here. Still making, putting in the work, preparing. Still selling fake doors. Still selling fake doors. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>